Section 12 of Faraday as a Discoverer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Faraday as a Discoverer by John Tyndall. Supplementary Remarks. A brief space will perhaps be granted me here to state the further progress of an investigation which interested Faraday so much. Drawn by the fame of Bunsen as a teacher, in the year 1848 I became a student in the University of Marburg in Hesse-Kassel. Bunsen behaved to me as a brother as well as a teacher, and it was also my happiness to make the acquaintance and gain the friendship of Professor Knobloch, so highly distinguished by his researches on radiant heat. Plucker's and Faraday's investigations filled all minds at the time, and towards the end of 1849, Professor Knoblauch and myself commenced a joint investigation of the entire question. Long discipline was necessary to give us due mastery over it. Employing a method proposed by Dove, we examined the optical properties of our crystals ourselves and these optical observations went hand in hand with our magnetic experiments the number of these experiments was very great but for a considerable time no fact of importance was added to those already published at length however it was our fortune to meet with various crystals whose deportment could not be brought under the laws of magna crystallic action enunciated by plucker we also discovered instances which led us to suppose that the magnacrystallic force was by no means independent, as alleged, of the magnetism or diamagnetism of the mass of the crystal. Indeed, the more we worked at the subject, the more clearly did it appear to us that the deportment of crystals in the magnetic field was due not to a force previously unknown, but to the modification of the known forces of magnetism and diamagnetism by crystalline aggregation an eminent example of magnacrystallic action adduced by plucker and experimented on by faraday was icelandic spar it is what in optics is called a negative crystal and according to the law of plucker the axis of such a crystal was always repelled by a magnet but we showed that it was only necessary to substitute, in whole or in part, carbonate of iron for carbonate of lime, thus changing the magnetic but not the optical character of the crystal, to cause the axis to be attracted. That the deportment of magnetic crystals is exactly antithetical to that of diamagnetic crystals, isomorphous with the magnetic ones, was proved to be a general law of action. In all cases, the line which in diamagnetic crystals set equatorially always set itself in an isomorphous magnetic crystal axially. By mechanical compression, other bodies were also made to imitate the Iceland spar. These and numerous other results bearing upon the question were published at the time in the Philosophical Magazine and in the Pogendorf's Annalen and the investigation of diamagnetism and magnacrystallic action was subsequently continued by me in the laboratory of Professor Magnus of Berlin. In December of 1851, after I had quitted Germany, 
Dr. Bence Jones went to the Prussian capital to see the celebrated experiments of Dubois Raymond, and influenced, I suppose, by what he heard, he afterwards invited me to give a Friday evening discourse at the Royal Institution. I consented, not without fear and trembling, for the Royal Institution was to me a kind of dragon's den, where tact and strength would be necessary to save me from destruction. On February 11th, 1853, the discourse was given, and it ended happily. I allude to these things that I may mention that, though my aim and object in that lecture was to subvert the notions both of Faraday and Plucker, and to establish in opposition to their views what I regarded as the truth, it was very far from producing in Faraday either enmity or anger. At the conclusion of the lecture, he quitted his accustomed seat crossed the theatre to the corner into which i had shrunk shook me by the hand and brought me back to the table once more subsequently and in connection with a related question i ventured to differ from him still more emphatically it was done out of trust in the greatness of his character nor was the trust misplaced he felt my public dissent from him and it pained me afterwards to the quick to think that I had given him even momentary annoyance. It was, however, only momentary. His soul was above all littleness and proof to all egotism. He was the same to me afterwards that he had been before, the very chance expression which led me to conclude that he felt my descent being one of kindness and affection. It required long subsequent effort to subdue the complications of magnacrystallic action and to bring under the dominion of elementary principles the vast mass of facts which the experiments of faraday and plucker had brought to light it was proved by reich edmund becquerel and myself that the conditions of diamagnetic bodies in virtue of which they were repelled by the poles of a magnet was excited in them by those poles that the strength of this condition rose and fell with and was proportional to the strength of the acting magnet it was not then any property possessed permanently by the bismuth and which merely required the development of magnetism to act upon it that caused the repulsion for then the repulsion would have been simply proportional to the strength of the influencing magnet whereas experiment proved it to augment as the square of the strength the capacity to be repelled was therefore not inherent in the bismuth but induced so far an identity of action was established between magnetic and diamagnetic bodies after this deportment of magnetic bodies normal and abnormal crystalline amorphous and compressed was compared with that of crystalline amorphous and compressed diamagnetic bodies and by a series of experiments executed in the laboratory of this institution the most complete antithesis was established between magnetism and diamagnetism this antithesis embraced the quality of polarity the theory of reversed polarity first propounded by faraday being proved to be true the discussion of the question was very brisk on the continent Professor Wilhelm Weber was the ablest and most successful supporter of the doctrine of diamagnetic polarity, 
and it was with an apparatus devised by him and constructed under his own superintendence by Lacer of Leipzig that the demands of the opponents of diamagnetic polarity were satisfied. The establishment of this point was absolutely necessary to the explanation of magnocrystallic action. With the admirable instinct which always guided him, Faraday had seen that it was possible, if not probable, that the diamagnetic force acts with different degrees of intensity in different directions, through the mass of a crystal. In his studies on electricity, he had sought an experimental reply to the question whether crystalline bodies had not different specific inductive capacities in different directions, but he failed to establish any difference of the kind. His first attempt to establish differences of diamagnetic action in different directions through bismuth was also a failure. But he must have felt this to be a point of cardinal importance, for he returned to the subject in 1850 and proved that bismuth was repelled with different degrees of force in different directions. It seemed as if the crystal were compounded of two diamagnetic bodies of different strengths, the substance being more strongly repelled across the magnocrystallic axis than along it. The same result was obtained independently and extended to various other bodies, magnetic as well as diamagnetic, and also to compressed substances, a little subsequently by myself. The law of action in relation to this point is that in diamagnetic crystals, the line along which the repulsion is a maximum sits equatorially in the magnetic field while in magnetic crystals the line along which the attraction is a maximum sets from pole to pole. Faraday had said that the magnocrystallic force was neither attraction nor repulsion. Thus far he was right. It was neither taken singly, but it was both. By the combination of the doctrine of diamagnetic polarity with these differential attractions and repulsions, and by paying due regard to the character of the magnetic field, Every fact brought to light in the domain of magnocrystallic action received complete explanation. The most perplexing of those facts were shown to result from the action of mechanical couples, which the proved polarity both of magnetism and diamagnetism brought into play. Indeed, the thoroughness with which the experiments of Faraday were thus explained is the most striking possible demonstration of the marvelous precision with which they were executed. End of section 12